do, do you know anybody that just insists on getting the last word all the time? Yeah. Um, it's annoying, isn't it? it? Just They always have to get the last word in. Uh, you know, no matter what you're talking about, it just seems like, you know, the door's closing and they're, you know, they're getting the last, the last word, whatever it takes. It's a competition to get the last word in. And uh, I was thinking about it this week because, uh, you know, think about when you get engaged. And you ever been on the phone when you're engaged? I love you. Love you too. Love you. Love you too. Okay, I'm going. I love you. I love you too. And, you know, it, you know if, guys, if you're engaged, you might as well just take your man card out of your wallet, put it in your sock drawer for the next six months because you're toast, right? And, and then get used to it because you're probably not going to get the last word for a long time. But, but just some people love to get the last word and they, they get it in. Um, but there are times in our lives, aren't there, that we don't get the last word. Uh, there are illnesses in our lives where we don't get the last word. There are jobs that we don't get the last word. There are circumstances that we face in our lives that we all face in our lives where um, we're not going to get the, the last word. Somebody else is going to get the last word. Some circumstance, our health, uh, our body's going to get the last word. And sometimes we get really frustrated with that. Sometimes we get it's really hard for us because we so badly want to have the last word when it comes to, to our own life. But it, it just, it isn't always possible. And so we're, we're going to talk this morning uh, about, we're going to recognize the fact that we don't always get the last word. But here's, here's the truth that we're going to talk about this morning. And that is simply this, that Jesus always gets the last word that Jesus Christ always gets the last word, and it's the word of life for us. We're going to talk about that this morning as we prepare ourselves, as we start the uh, unbelievably coming fast, but we we start the march to Easter uh, here. We're going to talk about that idea this morning out of the Gospel of John, chapter 11, one of the really well-known stories about a friend of Jesus named Lazarus. And um, let's, let's read John 11, verses 1 to 4. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So I'm going to stop for just a second because we get this little indication of of who they are. They're close friends of Jesus, uh, all three of them. There's two sisters and a brother. There's Martha and Mary and there's Lazarus. And so the tip-off that John gives us, it's not actually recorded until the 12th chapter, is that, that Jesus is at a meal one time, and, and the host of the meal is trying to embarrass him. The host of the meal is sort of a cynic, and he doesn't have somebody there to wash the feet of Jesus when he comes in. And she comes with this expensive uh, alabaster bottle of perfume, and it was worth, it was valuable, it was worth a whole year's wages. And she breaks that jar and she pours that perfume over the feet of Jesus and then she wipes his feet with her hair. This is Mary, this is the one who does that for Jesus. Now Jesus hears that Lazarus, her brother, is ill. And so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Isn't that a great way to be known? 
This is all we need to say, Lord, that he whom you love is ill. It tells you a lot about the relationship that they had with Jesus. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness is not to death, for it is for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus makes this great pronouncement that this isn't going to lead to death, but it's so that you'll see the glory of God, so that you'll see the Son of God glorified through this. There was a time in John 9 where there was a man who had been born blind, and the disciples asked him, they said, Jesus, is this because of his sin or the sin of his parents or, or something like that? And Jesus said, no, this is so that you might see the glory of God. This is so that God might be glorified. Well, this is another instance where Lazarus is sick to death. It says, sick unto death. And, and, and the sisters send for Jesus. And Jesus tells his disciples when the messengers get there that this isn't an illness that's going to lead to real death. But this is so that God can be glorified so that the Son of God can be glorified through it. Because Jesus is on a mission. Jesus tells us in John 20, chapter 20, verse 31, uh, he says, I write this, I write all of this so that you will know that Jesus is the Christ. So Jesus is wanting to make sure that they all know who he is. He's wanting to make sure they all know that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He's the Son of God who's been sent from heaven uh, to take away the sins of the world. He's come for that purpose. That's his mission, and he will be glorified through this. So let's read a few more verses. In verse 5 it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed for two days longer in the place where he was. Now, isn't that interesting? I, I love the way he phrases that. Jesus really loved him, so he didn't go. Okay, so what's the story here, Jesus? If you really loved him, you would have sprinted out of wherever it was that you were, and you would have headed to Bethany as fast as you could possibly get there because you loved him so much. But what the text says, what the verses say to us, is, is that Jesus really loved him, he really care about, cared about him, and then he stayed for two more days. We don't know exactly where he was. We, we know that he was somewhere just outside uh, of Judea. But we do know uh, that, that probably, but while the messengers were on their way to find him, on their way to get him, that, uh, that Lazarus died. And so here's Jesus. He waits for two days. And then after this, he says to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. I have a map here just to show you real quick. Um, I'll give you a little bit of a picture. You see Capernaum, Capernaum up at the top, and that's in Israel after Solomon was broken into two pieces. The southern part was called Judea, and the city of Jerusalem is in, in that southern part of Judea, and then the upper part was, was Israel. Uh, we know all of it is Israel today. But uh, they, had, they had been in Judea, down in the south, and the Pharisees and the religious leaders had threatened to kill Jesus. They had left. They had gone back up into the area of Capernaum. And now Jesus tells his disciples, let's go back. And the disciples are not really excited about going back. They remind him, uh, Jesus, those guys, they said they were going to kill us. They threatened us, and, and now you want to go back to that very place. Um, again, Jesus is telling them, it is time to go. I'm on a mission. I've got to finish what I was called to do. And so they, 
they tell him, this is dangerous, we're not sure if it's best for you to go, and then Jesus says, we're going back to Judea, and you know what's really interesting in this passage is that the disciple that speaks up, the disciple that, that says something, Thomas uh, says, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, just in a few chapters, in a few days, Thomas is going to be labeled Thomas the Doubter for history, right? Forever. But on this day, in this moment, Thomas is the one who speaks up and he says, all right, if Jesus is going to go to Judea, let's all go with him. We'll die with him. Let's go, you guys. And, and he's the spokesperson for the disciples. And they all follow Jesus and they start their way back to Judea, to this town of, of Bethany that's about two miles away. It's about two miles from Jerusalem. It is on the way to the cross. And so they get there. Jesus stays two, two days longer. He loves them. And then he heads on to Bethany. You know, one of the things that this passage reminds us is that Jesus is not on our timetable, that God is not always on our timetable, that when we are coaching God in, as to how to run the universe, he's rarely on our timetable, isn't he? See, we're always in a hurry. We always want him to move faster. Mary and Martha wanted Jesus to move fast. They wanted Jesus to get there before their brother Lazarus died. They were devastated when he didn't get there in time. They, we, we, are, we are on a timetable. We are always in a hurry, and God is often, usually, almost all the time, on a different timetable than we are. And it's getting worse. You know, the Pew Research, uh, Pew Research Center's Internet and American Life Project that's really a long title. Pew Research, this big group that does grants and research all over the world, uh, their research center's Internet and American Life Project sums up a recent study, it was taken last fall, about people under the age of 35 and the dangers of their hyper-connected uh, hyper lives, which sounds like a prescription drug warning. The, the drug warning should say something like negative effects include a need for instant gratification and a loss of patience. Here, here's what they found, and they said it's not just the Gen Y or the millennials, as they're sometimes called, but anyone who's growled in frustration while a website loads or while on hold with a doctor's office knows that the tolerance for delay is in short supply. Impatience may be the most pronounced among the young, wired people who have been wired nearly from birth. I'm, I'm not sure about this because I'm not all that great in grocery lines or on the freeway, but when you think about, um, and I know you're not either, but when you think about the, the generation below us or a couple below us uh, who have been wired their whole lives, they've been on Wi-Fi their whole lives, that's what they know, um, think about this. Uh, here's what the study said. We've come to expect things so quickly that researchers found people can't wait more than a few seconds for a video to load. Ramesh Sitaraman, a computer science professor at University of Massachusetts Amherst, examined the viewing habits of 6.7 million internet users in a study released last fall. How long were the subjects willing to be patient? Two seconds. After that, they started abandoning. Sitaraman said after five seconds, the abandonment rate is 25%. When you get to 10 seconds, half are gone. The bottom line is that we don't like to wait. 
And when you couple that with our tendency to tell God how to run things, you can see that we have a problem. And so we look at our world and we can imagine how, how often we are impatient with God, how often we are frustrated because God doesn't move, uh, he doesn't act, he doesn't do what we think he should do when we think he should do it. And now put that idea into this story in John 11 uh, with Mary and Martha and you get an idea of the anxiousness that they were feeling. In verse 20 now it says, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met up with him. Mary remained seated uh, in the house. Martha breaks etiquette. Uh, there was, a, there was a, a ritual, a tradition called the Shiva. Shiva is Hebrew for seven. It's a seven days of mourning. And so when somebody in your household died, you would sit uh, in some place in your house and you would greet guests and you would greet mourners as they came to you. And that was the tradition. But when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she left there. She'd had enough of Shiva. She'd had enough of waiting. She'd had enough of all of this. She was done with it. She needed to do something. She needed some action. And so she gets up and she runs uh, to Jesus. She breaks the rules and as we look at this story, one of the things that we're going to see is how different these two sisters are, how different Mary and Martha are. You remember there's another story about Mary and Martha. It's Jesus is in their home and he's teaching. And Martha's so busy and she's serving everybody. She's taking care of everybody. She's, she's you know, she, she's making sure that the, that the loaf of bread just has enough garlic and it's, everything's just perfect. And she's running out to her herb garden for more stuff. And she's busy taking care, you know, cleaning the house and picking up after people. And then she sees Mary and, and Mary's just fit, sitting at the feet of Jesus so happy and watching and listening to everything that he says. And, and Martha gets really angry and she tells Jesus, make my sister help me. Remember that story? It's a picture of, of two kinds of people in the world, right? It's a picture of how different even people that come out of the same family can, can be. I know this guy who did this extremely almost scientific study, uh, and he, 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 it started with a baking pan, you know, a big baking pan, and, and in this baking pan there was like, I don't know, lasagna that had cooked too long or something and it was crusty and hard and you know just jammed it worked in the this pan it was just gross nasty you could be brown you know whatever it is that you burn in your pan and you just leave this nasty stuff in the bottom of it and and so he decided that he is in his research almost scientific research he he decided that you can split the entire world into two groups just using that baking pan You've got the soakers and you've got the scrubbers, right? We all know. Let's see, now you're getting personal. But so we all know that some people are soakers, right? Oh, look at this. Okay, we're just going to put some water and some soap in there and we're going to let it sit for the next three weeks and just see. See, it's going to get really soft, and then all you have to do is just spray it out, and it'll be good. And then the scrubber looks at that pan and says, this is evil, and I will defeat you, and I will not go to bed until you're clean. And then they just, you know, and they're scrubbing it. And then and you've got these two people. There are soakers, and there are scrubbers, and the whole world can get divided into two categories. You're either a soaker or you're a scrubber. And isn't it interesting that a lot of you are sitting together and 
you realize the fact that one of you is a soaker and one of you is a scrubber. I just want to say one little thing to the soakers for a second, okay? The, the scrubbers think they're a little better than you. <laughs> you just feel like they're a little bit higher on the food chain than you are, a little bit more responsible. So watch out for them. Uh, and, but I do, I want to say something to the scrubbers too. The soakers are really just going to leave that for you. <laughs> That's the whole point of this. You're going to get so tired of looking at it that you're going to eventually clean it. So it just, it all works out. Eventually you have a clean pan. And, and so we, we get this incredible difference. We're either soakers or scrubbers. And I'm not going to tell you which Jen and I are, but I'll bet you could guess <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but we all fit in one of those two categories, right? We're all just so different. That's the point. And here you have Mary and Martha, and they're so, they see the world different. They're different. Martha has run to meet Jesus, and Mary is sitting at her house, greeting those, taking it all in, crying with people, talking with people, doing all of the stuff that you're supposed to do, following uh, the tradition but Mary goes to see Jesus. In verse 21, it says this, Mary said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. She scolds Jesus a little bit. Jesus, if you'd have just gotten here on time. I mean, I'm sure the tone in her voice said, Jesus, I'm a little disappointed in you. After all we've been through together, after all we've done, if you'd have just gotten here on time. Lazarus wouldn't have died. I, I have so much faith that you can heal people. I have so much faith that you can fix things. And if you'd have just been on time, where were you? But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Isn't that an interesting? She makes her own response and then Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So even the Hebrews at that time, uh, they had a belief in the end times. They had a belief in the ultimate resurrection, but, but they had no concept of what Jesus was about to do. And so Jesus said to her, and listen to verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. And so they have this powerful exchange where Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection. I think we have it up here. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And you look at this I am, that this is the I am of the Old Testament. When Moses was at the burning bush and he said, who do I tell them you are? Jesus said, tell them that I am the I am. And six other times in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes I am statements. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. And here he says, I am the resurrection and the life that with me, there's no death. With me, death has been defeated. You're going to see what God can do when he goes to work on your behalf. You're going to see how God can conquer death. You're going to see that Jesus is going to get the last word. He, watch what's about to happen because he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am going to get the last word. And you know what Martha said? Then what Jesus said to Martha, he said, do you believe this? And she said, I believe that you're the Christ. I believe in you, Jesus. I'm overwhelmed by my circumstances. I'm overwhelmed by my grief. I'm overwhelmed by what's happened in my life. But I believe in you. 
And isn't that where we want to stand in our lives? Isn't that where we want to be? That, that we may be overwhelmed in our grief. We may be overwhelmed in our tr- troubles. We may be overwhelmed uh, in the circumstance that we find ourselves in, but we know in whom we believe. We believe in Jesus. Our, our lives don't, aren't defined. Our lives don't begin and end with our circumstances. The circumstances don't have the last word in our life if we believe in Jesus, if we have Christ. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then uh, in verse 20, 28, it says, And when she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her uh, in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the uh, tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him and she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Imagine this scene, Mary's in the house. Martha goes to her and she says, the teacher, the teacher's here and he wants to see you. And Jesus had stayed where he met Martha. And Mary gets up and she runs toward Jesus. Now the people who were there, the mourners, the the grievers who were there, they assume she's going to the, teams, the tomb, so, she, so they begin to follow her. Um, you know, one of the other traditions, uh, Hebrew traditions of that day, was that you had all kinds of mourners. You see, uh, Jerusalem was just two miles from Bethany, so probably people came from Jerusalem all the way to Bethany to be there with her. Uh, but you, so you had family, you had friends, you had people like that, but you also, depending on how wealthy you were and, and how well-known you were, you also had hired mourners that you actually paid people to, to mourn. And so the, the greater the reputation, the greater the person, uh, the more mourners that you could afford. And so you would have these huge, massive groups of people who were there to, to mourn, who were there uh, to um, be part of this tradition um, because they had a belief that, that that meant something to your soul, that meant something for people who, um, who were mourning, uh, who were, who had passed away, and they had another uh, idea that the soul would actually hang around for three days after the death of the person. And so um, on the fourth day, the soul would see the decomposition that was starting to set in and realize there wasn't a chance to go back into the body, and then the soul would disappear. And so one of the really interesting things is, is as Jesus waited two days, and then as he made his way uh, to Bethany, it was the fourth day when he got there. It was the day that they had given up all hope. It was the day that they had stopped looking. They'd stopped wondering, and they had recognized the fact that this is done, that Lazarus is dead, and then Jesus shows up. His timing wasn't really that bad after all, was it? Now, Mary comes to see him. And she rises quickly, she follows him, and then when she gets there, she says the same thing that Martha did. She kind of complains a little bit. She says, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus knows that people grieve differently even. One of the things that I tell folks all the time is that don't let anybody tell you how to grieve, that we're all different. We all have a different way of, of grieving. We all have a different way of 
living that out, of working that out. And, and Mary and Martha had a really different way. But here is Mary. She falls at the feet of Jesus. She doesn't come to have a conversation with him. She comes. She's exhausted. She's emotionally destroyed. She falls at the feet of Jesus. And she says, Jesus, if you'd have just been here on time. And Jesus was troubled. Jesus looked around him and he saw the people who were grieving and the people who were crying and all of the mourning and everything. And it says he was troubled by it. In fact, um, Stephen Langdon, who lived uh, in uh, the year, he lived in the 13th century, but in 1227, he broke the whole Bible into chapters. He was a professor at the University of Paris at the time. He was later the Archbishop of Canterbury. But in 1551, another man named Robert Stevens, or Stephanus, uh, actually broke the New Testament uh, into verses. And so he was a printer, and when he was printing his Greek New Testament, he broke the New Testament into verses. And for some interesting reason, for some reason that we've never been able to ask him, when he got to verse 35 of John 11, he stopped at two words. Jesus wept. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school, you always know that was the verse that we all memorized. But when you think about it, that in 1551, when this French printer was putting periods and commas and question marks into his Greek New Testament, and he stopped right there, and at Jesus wept, he put a period. And it gave us the shortest verse in the Bible and it's because it's so profound when you think about it that the God of the universe came in human form and he knew what he was going to do he knew what, what he could do for Lazarus all of that was not a mystery to him but when he saw those people that he loved when he saw the grief of Mary and Martha when he saw the people who were hopeless when he saw uh, the pain that they were in. He was so troubled. He was so moved because he loved them so much that he wept. Eugene Peterson says in the message that he burst into tears. The, the, the Christ, the God of the universe, the one who created us all, when he sees our pain, when he sees our hopelessness, he weeps. Someday you might stand before the Lord and you might say, Lord, where were you? Where were you when that happened in my life? Where were you when that took place in my life, when those circumstances happened, when I lost that person in my life? One of the things that Jesus might say is, I was weeping with you. But I'm also going to get the last word. And he does. So, verse 40 Says, says Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And then he tells them, actually in verse 39, he says, roll the stone away. He looks over and he says, roll the stone away. And they roll the stone away, and then Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. And he says it in a booming voice. He says it with command. He prays to the Father and he says, Father, I'm doing this. I know that you, I know what we can do. I know that you can raise Lazarus, but I'm thanking you that you're doing it so these people might believe. And he tells him to roll the stone away and then he says, Lazarus, come forth. 
and I have to think that nothing happened for a second, that everything was still. Because Lazarus is wrapped in grave clothes and he can't move. And, and so if you want to find a comic moment in the whole story, think about this, that he's wrapped up in a shroud. He's wrapped up tight. Preserve him as long as he can. And so he's got to move himself and somehow he's got to get on his feet and somehow he's got to work his way to the front of that cave and get to the front so that they can see him. And it may have taken a little time. It may have taken a few seconds. People were there. Nobody's breathing. No one's coughing. No one's moving. They're just staring at the mouth of the cave. They're wondering what's happening. They're wondering what's going on. And all of a sudden, I don't know if Lazarus hopped out or if he squiggled out or I don't know how he got to the door, but he got to the front of the cave and Jesus said, take him, take those clothes off him, unbind him. I always think of that when we baptize folks. I always think about the fact that when we go down into the water, we're going down with those grave clothes on. When we come up, we're coming up unbound. We're coming up with those grave clothes off that we're a new creation in Christ. And Jesus said, unbind him. Unbind him. Verse 44, the man who had died came out. His hand and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So here's the question this morning. What are we gonna, well, here's the first part. We're all gonna experience loss, right? We are all gonna experience pain. It is part of living on this earth. We're all gonna get older. Sorry to break it to you. But we're all gonna face loss someday. We're all gonna face pain. We're all gonna face failure. We're all gonna face those things. So the question really is, when we get to those moments, when we get to those points in our lives, do we remember who Jesus is? We ask ourselves the question, do you believe? Because regardless of our circumstances, Jesus is gonna get the last word. He's the resurrection and the life. He's gonna get the last word. He knows our pain, our loss, our fear, our hopelessness, but he will get the last word. And as we journey to the cross together, I want you to keep this in mind. I want you to keep thinking about this. And here is the fact that as Jesus goes to the cross, if he, as he goes from the triumphal entry into Jerusalem to being betrayed and denied and beaten and mocked, that it's not done, that Jesus is gonna get the last word. And in our lives, the promise is that Jesus is going to get the last word, that it's never over until Jesus gets the last word. The question is, do you believe? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word, Lord. Thank you for how you speak to us. Lord, I pray that you'd make this real in our lives, that we would know that we believe in Jesus the Christ. We believe in you, Lord, forgive us when we forget that. Forgive us when we try to tell you how to run the universe, when we complain because of your timing, Lord, because, Lord, we believe you. And we know, Lord, that you're gonna get the last word. So we thank you, we praise you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.